0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Where to the hip, hop. Hip to the hip, hop, hop, hop. hop. Don't, don't stop, stop rocking, rocking to the, the bang, bang, I don't know if there's <laughs> a, a, <boogity>
1: bee. <laughs> a bunch of energy
2: because we know we're getting ready to hit the road and head out of town, or we just oh, had a pretty badass interview with Dom.
1: Dude, we just talked to, you're about to hear... Uh, coming up in this episode, our interview with uh, Dom DiAgostino. Um, this guy, say, I, dude, say that more Italian, please, Agostino. Yeah. Right. yeah, the he's whole thing. Oh, although, although when we're Italian, he's although,
3: super smart. Did you hear? Uh, it? He can deadlift a crazy amount. Uh, dude, uh, sound you know, like anybody? <laughs> uh, Justin, and I except he's way smarter. He's way smarter and stronger than me. Yeah,
2: so Justin and I were totally flirting with him off air. We, we, were, were, trying to, we were trying to get him like, like, like wow, you're you know, you're, Sal, Sal's busy sometimes. If you're <laughs> ever in the area,
3: yeah. <laughs> your references were even more impactful, bro. The the well, there was
1: a couple times where I mentioned an. Article or something. Oh. You're going to hear this. So I, there's a couple My times favorite where I, I mention an article like, oh, I read this about the ketogenic diet in relationship to blah, 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 like I always do. And Dom's like, Oh, you must be talking about the New York Times uh, article uh, published in 2015 yeah. on December, blah, 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 by Dr. Someone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, this motherfucker kills me at me. Yeah. He did that. He, he, he beats he me at He was the me guy me. that
3: was involved in the study, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's my colleague.
4: And, yeah. you know, Oh, we,
2: we, yeah, we went to we,
3: trade phone numbers together. Oh, we
2: went yeah. to school together, and yeah. this is who co-wrote that. Oh, we did that during that. Oh, psh. On every, he must have done that ten times. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I was, I think
3: that was like I was most impressed. Like, holy shit, yeah. did he, he just? It's okay though. He validated your references. It's just like, whoa, he's he's like involved with these people. Yes, yeah. actually,
1: that's true, Justin. Yeah. I feel better now. There you go. Honestly, I didn't no, make no, 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 no. But yeah, he did. He's like he's one of the most uh, one of the leading researchers on ketogenic diets, and he's also. He's he's the most out there because there's a lot of people right now that are really doing some awesome research on ketogenic and uh, diets and ketones and exogenous ketones. He talks a lot about exogenous ketones, which are basically ketone supplements you can take that will increase you know ketosis in the body and their effects on everything from neurodegenerative disorders to cancer um, research on Navy SEALs. He talks a little bit about that in the episode, which well, is kind of cool. I, I'm, yeah.
2: I was so excited. I'm most excited about this is. You know, we we talked about the ketogenic diet, you know, about six months ago when, when Mind Pump went keto. And you know, even us uh we we are, we are not like the leading researchers on on, on the we're, ketogenic. we're not even like we're not you even know. telling everybody to do it and and but what you're what people most people are going to get in the next year to years to come with the because so much science is coming out is all the way the the industry is going to try and make a buck off of it yeah and what i'm so why I'm so excited to bring this to everybody is you get to hear a a the man, the man when it comes to mm-hmm. uh the s- study and research that has gone into. Uh, the ketogenic diet and from a non-biased point not someone trying to sell you a book or try and sell you listen to what I have to say pure research pure science mm-hmm. um what we know for sure what we're still learning um i just and even when there's a point in this interview where sal challenges him and kind of asks his 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 thinking on it and to listen to the way he responded was just like so beautiful i'm yeah. like i love hearing he's someone not
1: trying to sell it, sell you on it at exactly all. not yeah. trying
2: to sell you on the idea at all he's just trying he's very
1: objective he's very objective Good. he's presenting information uh, this is what I like about uh, Talking to scientists a lot of times is that If you get the right ones who who are just really Passionate about the work you don't feel like They're biased uh, even by their own Work you know they try to remain objective which he does A very good job mm-hmm. not to mention the guy Strong as hell too <laughs> and he works Out with a lot of really strong Guys so he he's kind of You know he understands yeah. us on another level He's like us but like way Smarter yeah, just and, and, and more handsome
3: Apparently too Fuck! right
1: damn ruined it. It's horrible.
2: You know, we did a good job, I think, of uh, trying to ask. I mean, God, I could have spent three hours straight of just question after question after question that I had uh, for him. And hopefully we'll have him on as a guest. Um, again, sometime, but we did we hit up some we had some good stuff that's related to building muscle, to burning fat, to performance, to you know cancer, how this is to uh, diabetes. Like I mean, we covered some really cool things. We even
1: talked about how bulking, how you can bulk or gain muscle on a ketogenic diet. You know, because we've had a lot of questions. The pros on that.
2: and cons of that yeah, for so, sure. So,
1: so without any further ado, you're going to hear us talk to Dom Diagostino. He's the associate professor at the Department of Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology in South Florida, University of South Florida, Florida, excuse me. Um, He's also a scientist at the Institute for Human, Machine, and Machine Cognition. Um, And you can check uh, his podcast. He's on a podcast called Metabolic Optimization Podcast. It's relatively new. And a couple sites he wanted us to plug, ketonutrition.org and metabolicoptimization.com. So uh, here you go. Check us out. So um, I guess we can kind of get into it yeah, a little bit. Let's do yes, I'm exci- yeah, dude, I'm like a little kid at Christmas yeah, yeah. right now. Well, I can't wait so, to ask you questions. So Dom, I first, <laughs> I'll tell you how I first heard about you. Um, now, I was familiar about keto- with ketogenic dieting uh, before I knew who you were. Uh, and this is because I have a very close family member who um, has epilepsy. And so um, that's, that's how I got introduced to ketogenic dieting um, and how it could potentially help luckily my family member responded well to low dose medication they didn't have to do this but i knew of ketogenic you know the effects of ketogenic diets on things like seizures because of that and then i heard about you because you did something very interesting that blew me away you did a fast for seven days and then you did you deadlifted 500 pounds 10 times and did a single of 585 or something like that is that correct
4: yeah, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that's
3: awesome.
2: Yeah, that's so. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> so, no, it's well, we we actually we wrote a guide about fasting also uh, about a year ago. Okay. So one of our books is actually all about fasting. So we're also huge fans. Awesome. Yeah, you'll start to put together why we're we're a big fan. You know, a lot of things that you you talk and discuss, um, we we are trying to share and, and spread a lot of that good word too.
1: So how did why did you do that? That was that an experiment, a self experiment that you did? Where you fasted for seven days and then went and did the deadlift.
4: Uh, Yeah, you know, I've been kind of training for a while, just recreational lifting and stuff. But uh, I got into, you know, just going back, the, the research that we do now is developing ketone supplements and really harnessing the power of nutritional ketosis. And I was inspired by... Work that was done by George Cahill back in the mid '60s at Harvard Medical School, of all places, actually. And they, this is before IRBs would wouldn't let anything approve. They had they did a study where they fasted individuals for 40 days, and they looked at the AV difference, like the the blood going to the brain and from, from the brain and, and, you know, away from the brain and looked at the metabolic substrate utilization and showed that the brain shifted from using glucose to using ketone bodies. And, uh, and, and I studied sort of all the metabolic parameters and even talked to people that were involved in that study. Uh, the main George Cahill actually passed away a few years, but I did get to talk to him before. So, that kind of inspired me to do a seven-day fast and to do all my blood work and uh, and also to see how I, you know, what my performance was like, you know, at the end of that. So actually, I had to give a couple lectures. I was speaking. You guys are in the fitness field. I was actually spoke at Lane Norton's uh, fitness camp. Okay, like on the right. last day, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and so and we went to Powerhouse Gym, which is you know gym where. I train and a bunch of guys train and um, just testing my strength, you know, and it's not – it wasn't like a PR by any means. But uh, I realized that it didn't really tap into my uh, my low gear strength, which mm-hmm. I, I, I thought – I kind of had a hunch it wouldn't really. But, uh, you know, it didn't really impact me as much as, as you'd think after uh, – and I lost about – forget if it was seven or nine pounds throughout the one week of fasting so
1: you found that uh, your strength your maximal strength didn't really get affected um from fasting for seven days what what did you uh, what, what are yeah, yeah? Tell me the markers you noticed kind
4: of yeah my like my peak strength when i'm kind of at my my best i would guess when i'm hitting the gym a lot i could do 585 for 10 or 12 is my best but Holy like shit. 10 usually <laughs> and like 675 uh how tall are for you four or five Uh, I'm a little little bit over six foot. Okay. Uh, That sucks for you. So so. it (laughs) didn't, you know, and I didn't want to go crazy, too crazy and like pull something. And and I was feeling at six and seven days, even though I was drinking a lot of water and getting in minerals, I was getting a little bit – like orthostatic hypotension, you know, when you're sitting and you stand up, like your blood pressure was just really low. Sure. And my heart rate was like in the 40s. So it was like, you know, I, I was starting to feel it a little bit. So I didn't have a, a whole lot of energy reserves left. So I was just starting to feel it. But I was functioning at a level beyond what I, I thought I would be able to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, prior to doing, doing the fast. And it was really a pretty much a water-only Fast with some minerals, and I'm kind of interested in doing the seven day uh, fast again, but with ketone supplementation. So I just haven't. I want to be sure I have the right block of time where I can, you know, do all the measurements and the blood work and do kind of a, a variety of things to 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 assess my, my my fast.
1: Well, Dom, how did you start your research into ketones and the effect of the, you know the effects of the brain or you know, um, ketogenic diets in particular, what drove you to study that? Um, was it something you were directed to do? Was it something you had a passion for?
4: Yeah. 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago as a postdoctoral fellow, uh, I did my PhD looking at the effects of, of low oxygen, which would be hypoxia. And then when I graduated and did my postdoctoral fellowship 10 years ago, I was looking at hyperoxia. So the military, specifically the Office of Navy Research, wanted to to determine what was the, the cellular and molecular mechanism of CNS oxygen toxicity seizures that Navy SEALs and special operations divers will get if they use a closed-circuit rebreathing device, which is a small sort of rebreather that goes on the chest that allows you to dive underwater and... It allows you. There's a stealth component, so there's no bubbles that come up when you're diving underwater, like like open circuit scuba. Right. And the benefit is that it's very quiet. You avert decompression sickness, nitrogen narcosis, those things. But if you go down to just 50 feet of seawater, you could have a seizure in like 15 minutes. Now, and or this less. is the,
1: this is because the, too high of oxygen concentration.
4: Yeah, the, the oxygen's brain. a stimulant. Mm-hmm. You know, at certain. Um, levels. Oxygen is a good good thing, obviously, but too much of it can overwhelm your brain's antioxidant capacity. And it also functions, as I mentioned, like a stimulant. So you get essentially an overstimulation of the brain uh, when the oxygen concentration gets too high. And as you go down in depth, the concentration of the gas that you're breathing, which with the rebreather be pure oxygen, increases proportionally. So, you know, at... At 134 feet of seawater, that's five atmospheres. Mm-hmm. So if you're breathing, like we're breathing 20% oxygen, right? So if you're on a rebreather, you're breathing 100% oxygen, and then if you go down to five atmospheres of, of seawater, which is like 132 uh, two feet, that's you're you're breathing like 500 times the amount wow. of the oxygen. And so
1: that causes seizures in these very high trained, uh, you know, um, you know, soldiers. Um, and you found that ke- eating a ketogenic diet or having them run off of ketones help prevent that.
4: Yeah. So we, the military has been looking at anti seizure strategies for a long time and, uh, anti-convulsant drugs were kind of the things that they would go to. And, uh, I became, you know, I'm in a pharmacology department, so I was mostly interested in drug therapy to prevent this from happening. But then I had uh, uh, a guy that I was communicating with by the name of Mike Dancer, and he was kind of a a fitness guy and a competitive bodybuilder. And he was getting, he had temporal lobe epilepsy. And I started doing some research to help him. And I found out the ketogenic diet had a very interesting history that it was actually a medical, you know, a metabolic based therapy for drug resistant or drug refractory epilepsy. And its, its origins date back into like the 1920s and, and 30s. And it was kind of based upon the idea that you know in if you get your metabolic physiology in in like a fasted state where your blood glucose is low and your ketones are elevated that produces a pretty profound anti seizure effect and the ketogenic diet can mimic the metabolic state of fasting and I, you know, I thought that was really interesting, and I, I came across the uh, the movie by Meryl Streep that many people probably don't realize she did a movie on the ketogenic diet interesting. called like First Do it? No Harm." I did not know that. And uh, and she did the movie for Jim Abrams, the Hollywood producer, uh, who had a foundation called the Charlie Foundation. Mm. So I came across this movie and then I actually went to PubMed and I pulled a bunch of references out and I realized that the data, the research was overwhelming showing that this was a highly effective strategy to prevent seizures. Even Mm. when drugs failed, the diet worked like two thirds of the time, even when all the drugs failed. So I was thinking, wow, it's grossly underutilized. It should be like frontline approach Mm. really, but it just wasn't getting much attention and, uh, so I contacted my program officer and I said, you know, maybe we can develop a nutritional ketosis strategy to mitigate oxygen toxicity seizures. And, and he, he kind of it appealed to him, but he didn't, he didn't like the idea of a carbohydrate restricted high fat diet for like a, a warfighter, an SEAL, and, you know, then I, I dug up a little bit more, some information, and I saw that DARPA had funded the development of ketone esters for warfighter performance, like, years ago. Interesting. And the research was ongoing, and I realized, wow, what if these ketone esters that mimic the state of nutritional ketosis could mitigate oxygen toxicity? It's putting your body into nutritional ketosis, like the diet, right? So, you have something that could prevent the seizures and also enhance... Warfighter physical and cognitive performance, mm. which was another sort of more or less top secret study that you know DARPA was running. Uh, so I was able to acquire you know uh, a number of ketone esters, and we tested a variety of esters and found the compounds that were most efficacious at preventing oxygen toxicity seizure in our rodent model. So they are the ones, and we since developed other forms of ketone supplementation. And that really kind of was the, uh, you know, the start of it. And that was about 10 years ago. But even prior to that, I was developing various technologies like uh, uh, we, my postdoctoral project was developing an atomic force microscope inside a hyperbaric chamber. Mm. So we could look at the level of the membrane and the mitochondria and just cell, cell activity, what was going on. You know, uh, simulating a Navy SEAL dive. What was going on at the level of the mitochondria? You know, what was going on as far as free radical production in the cell. So it was a lot of these cell-based in vitro studies that were giving me clues that if we just targeted cellular metabolism, then the cell could preserve its bioenergetic state and its prevent its hyperexcitability in the context of you know a big oxidative hit like. Hyperbaric oxygen, you know, at, at three, four, five atmospheres. Well, there's, so a, lot we of, there's a lot of there's a lot of
1: studies on uh, you know ketones and their neuroprotective effects and how it protects the brain. I, it, it, yeah. and, I've, and I've heard scientists even refer to ketosis as a prefer as the better or uh, you know we evolved to utilize glucose and glycogen and we probably started off using ketones because it seems to be a more efficient way of using energy for the cells. Uh, it, d- d- is there any accuracy to that?
4: Yeah. D- you know, there was a lot of work done by, uh, Christopher Bowe and, uh, Jong Rowe, who's at Barrow Neurological Institute. He now runs the, uh, pediatric epilepsy up in, uh, in Calgary, Canada, and Eric Kosoff and, you know, all these guys, I connected with all them. The, mm. It I probably annoyed them because I was constantly just calling people, <laughs> asking them questions. Uh, so this idea then, you know, we, we do in the medical community, you know, even the medical students here, I have to kind of teach them that ketones are not metabolic poison. That they're in the context of a type in of type one diabetes where you have an absence of insulin, you could have runaway ketogenesis
1: yep. where you have it's ketoacidosis, you know, correct?
4: Yeah, ketoacidosis. So you have in that scenario, you have very high concentration. Of glucose, usually, and then runaway ketogenesis, you know, their liver's just pumping out massive amounts of ketones, and it can produce uh, a situation that, you know, could be very deadly. Excluding type 1 diabetes, actually, I have a student who's, you know, a big lifter. The guy's like, you know, 6'4, 250 pounds, and, and he's on a ketogenic diet basically to manage his type 1 diabetes. So even though type 1 diabetes kind of has that stigma, the ketoacidosis stigma. If it's well controlled, then you have a good handle on on your insulin. Someone could follow a ketogenic diet and reduce their insulin requirements and manage their glycemia much more effectively. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of like another story. But if we get to the original question you're asking, is does the brain prefer ketones over glucose? And that's a question I get a lot, and I, I think. The the answer is that the brain will use whatever is available, right? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it will prefer to use ketones over glucose, for example, in in an aged phenotype. So as we age, the brain's ability to use glucose as an energy source decreases over time. So you have decreased activity of enzymes like pyruvate dehydrogenase complex or internalization of the glucose transporter in the membrane. So if you look at the membranes there's less you know glucose transporters mm. at the level of the membrane you have as we age we have you know vascular issues so there's less brain blood flow. Uh, in the context of traumatic brain injury and Alzheimer's disease, the ketones function as an alternative energy source and would be, for sure, a preferred fuel source over glucose. Got it. Hmm. In that, And preferred, but my definition is that you would derive more energy for ketone metabolism than you would with glucose metabolism. Uh, but in the context of a normal, healthy person, I just look at it as kind of an alternative fuel that's available. And the brain will use kind of whatever's available, one could argue that if, if the same thing applies to the brain as does for the heart, it's been demonstrated in a number of elegant studies that the hydraulic efficiency of the heart is enhanced with ketone metabolism Reverse glucose metabolism, meaning that uh, you essentially derive more ATP per oxygen molecule when you metabolize ketones for energy than you do with glucose. Well, and well, it seems interesting. More... It's interesting
1: yeah. to me because I've heard of uh, Alzheimer's as being referred to as type three diabetes. I'm glad you
4: brought that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. What What is the validity behind that? Because I've heard that thrown around quite a bit. I've even used that myself <laughs> because I've read some research stating that. It really has to do with the brain's inability to utilize, you know, glucose, and so that's why they're calling it that type three diabetes.
4: Yeah, the the lead investigator that's looking at this, and he does a a glucose PET scan and a ketone PET scan, and he oh, does like the comparison of the two, and that would be Stephen Cunane. Uh, he's in Canada, and he presented at our Metabolic Therapeutics conference, and uh, he showed that. As we age, our ability to use ketones for fuel does not decrease, whereas with glucose, you get a, a plateau and a, a decrease in brain glucose utilization as we age. So there's a compensatory effect of ketones kind of filling the gap to help restore brain energy metabolism You know that, that's associated uh, with impaired glucose metabolism as we age. So yeah, there's there's a good good rationale for using ketones as an energy source, um, and it I believe it doesn't necessarily you know uh, it doesn't necessarily apply to the aged phenotype or those with you know mild cognitive impairment or even advanced Alzheimer's disease. I think there's benefits that the normal healthy person can get too. A lot of the work. It needs to be appreciated that a lot of this work looking at ketones is is sort of on a a disease phenotype, if you will. There's not a whole lot of data on normal, healthy people. So that's kind of the question that I get. Well, yeah, it works in, in this disease or that disease, and it helps restore mitochondrial function, mm-hmm. mitochondrial energy production, but will it have benefits to a normal, healthy person? Well, and-, and, I, and I think that's yes, especially under under stress conditions. so
3: That's kind of answering and, my question I, I was going yeah, to ask yeah. because of, uh, you know, the difference between like a medical versus like, you know, just the nutritional uh, between the two, like the difference between the two of those, the description.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the work has been done, you know, with ketogenic diets and we extrapolate that work, to just, uh, you know, exogenous ketones too is something that we're researching. But uh, the there's emerging applications for the ketogenic diet. And we realize now that it's, it's managing drug-resistant seizures because it's enhancing brain energy metabolism. And it does it independent of the etiology, which means, you know, you could have you know, Dravet syndrome, you could have like temporal lobe epilepsy, you could have... Glucose transporter type 1 deficiency syndrome, Angelman syndrome. In all these cases, the ketogenic diet is a remarkable tool for pretty much curing uh, seizures in in those disorders. And the mystery of the, the, there's a big mystery behind the mechanism of the ketogenic diet. And it's just, it's not just one mechanism, it's many sort of mechanisms working in synergy from enhanced cellular bioenergetics, reduced ROS, reactive oxygen species production. There's an increase in the GABA to glutamate ratio, um, which, you know, excess glutamate is excitotoxic and can cause seizures and an elevation of GABA or GABAergic activity in the brain can help dampen some of those seizures. Um, so there's, you know, there's elevated adenosine, there's, there's elevated carnosine and anserin we're, we're finding in our metabolomic studies. So there's many different mechanisms kind of working in synergy. And I think that's unlike any other, you know, drug out, out there. And we know the ketogenic diet works when a whole, you know, pharmacopoeia of different drugs fails. So it's probably working through a mechanism that's independent of any drug. That's out there.
1: Interesting. A- Anecdotally speaking, um, I, you know, I've always uh, consumed a diet that was relatively low in carbohydrates because I felt better, um, but I didn't do a full ketogenic diet, um, you know, with a very high fat intake. And I even dropped my protein intake until about maybe about six or seven months ago. And one of the, one of the effects that I noticed uh, right away was my a reduction in, in just systemic inflammation. Like I ate a healthy diet before. Um, And I went into ketogenic and I still ate healthy, you know, whole natural foods and balance. But I noticed a dramatic reduction in inflammation. And that's one of the number one comments I get from people who go ketogenic is they notice that they they have less inflammation in their joints and they feel less stiff. Uh, What could be the mechanism behind that? Uh, Are ketones or is a ketogenic diet, in fact, uh, anti-inflammatory?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. We, um, we published a paper on this with our colleagues at Yale University. And I guess just to give you a little backstory, um, uh, Professor Dixit, his name is Deep Dixit. He's at, uh, at Yale University and did a lot of kind of innovative research on calorie restriction, you know, and, um, uh, and various mechanisms of uh, type 2 diabetes and inflammation related to type 2 diabetes. And he reached out to me and said, uh, you know, could you develop a, a diet that elevates beta-hydroxybutyrate? Because he thought a lot of, you know, calorie restriction works remarkably well in, in many animal models and in humans mm. for, like, you know, correcting type 2 diabetes and many other disorders. And, and it has a remarkable effect at reducing inflammation. So, he was he was under the opinion that beta-hydroxybutyrate was one of the metabolites that was working to suppress inflammation. So, uh, we developed a, a diet that we kind of formulated here at University of South Florida, and we sent it to Yale University, and it was conducted by his a team of researchers up there, probably about 15 different people. And it demonstrated that the ketone metabolite beta-hydroxybutyrate blocks the NLRP3 uh, inflammasome-mediated inflammation. So this particular inflammasome is kind of like a hub, and when it gets activated, uh, it's or when it's suppressed, it can attenuate type two diabetes. It can attenuate multiple MS, Alzheimer's disease, age-related, you know, uh, cognitive affects gout. There's many different uh, pathologies that are associated with the activation of this inflammasome. So if we can suppress it, you know, that that would be very important. And that's exactly what his study showed that it was, and it did it through a metabolic independent mechanism. So it did it through a fairly complicated mechanism that was more or less independent of the the metabolic signals that we were sort of most familiar with, like like AMP kinase and and, and mTOR and, and things like that, or TCA cycle intermediates. Wow! Uh, so and that was published in Nature Medicine, which is kind of you know the the top tier, uh, the gold standard of of scientific well, research. Well, Dom, and, uh,
1: we've been seeing a lot of uh, information now on fasting and how uh, beneficial it is for the body, for longevity, and for health. And uh, I'm noticing that a lot of the effects of the ketogenic diet match what you'll get from fasting. Do you think a lot of the benefits of fasting are coming from the fact that when you fast, your body tends to go ketogenic? Do you think that might be why fasting is so uh, so good? Or do you think the reverse, that maybe a ketogenic diet mimics some of the effects of fasting and that's why it's healthy? Or why it's got some of these, these protective effects, I should, I should say.
4: Yeah, so uh, Dr. Longo has you know advanced that all the benefits of fasting. So even fasting before you have chemotherapy or fasting before radiation uh, can have tremendous benefits for for cancer management too. So that was really the the take home message of the manuscript that we. Presented and, and when the news media kind of jumped on it, they basically said, you know, they, they found the metabolite that's contributing to all the benefits of fasting, and it would be the ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's there's good evidence for that, but I think there, there's a lot of other things going on. Okay, and I think that the ketogenic diet mimics metabolically the state of fasting. If you have someone who's following a strict ketogenic diet, you know, one that's formulated, especially. One that's you know formulated to manage epilepsy, like a four to one or three to one ratio ketogenic diet, and you looked at their blood, it would look like you know they had fasted for half a week or more right because their glucose would be low, their ketone body is elevated, obviously, and uh, the hormone insulin would be suppressed, and it's the suppression of the hormone insulin that drives hepatic ketogenesis. And that's really the telltale sign of someone who's fasted. And that persistently stays. That's a constant feature of the ketogenic diet. So that being
2: said, Dom, uh, what's your take on someone who's trying to actually build or gain muscle on a ketogenic diet? Because, because it does suppress things like insulin. We know that's important. Uh, Yeah. Have you experimented much with this at all?
4: Well, yeah, I think the approach would be, um, well, you got to figure out what your goals are, right? So if you're, you're a teenager and you're trying to gain weight <laughs> and for football or whatever. So, even a ketogenic diet or even a low carb diet is probably not ideal. When you're young, and you guys could probably relate to this, you know, mm-hmm. when I was in the teens and early 20s, I can eat at the time, I was eating massive amounts of carbs, you know, five, 600 grams of carbs a day and doing just fine uh, trying to gain weight. But uh, in the context of someone trying to gain size and strength on a Ketogenic diet. We know insulin not only is it anabolic, but it's also very anti-catabolic, and its effects may actually be due, you know, as far as lifting. We could probably exploit it best if we kind of think of it as an anti-catabolic hormone. So a little bit of uh, calories in the form of a little bit of carbohydrates, maybe, and especially some branched-chain amino acids and protein right before we work out so you know for someone my size like 100 kilograms or so i would probably only want to max out at 150 grams of of protein per day but i would try to bolus that in and around my workout Mm. so kind of right before going in and and after to mitigate some of the catabolic effects of working out um and of course, you know, to, to fuel growth, you need a certain amount of calories. But a lot of it comes down to just calorie count. If you're calorie restricted, obviously it's going to be very difficult to gain size and, and strength in a calorie restricted state. I think it can be done with the right training. Uh, but uh, when it comes to putting on size and strength, you really have to adjust the calories to maintenance level and a little bit over with a ketogenic diet. If you I, was, want to. I was
2: just going to ask you that because yeah. I, I've also anecdotal here, you know, when I went through the ketogenic diet, um, I, a real similar effect like Sal had. Um, uh, but then I switched over to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try and bulk on this diet. I'm going to try and add size and, and see if I could do it. I was enjoying it so much. I love it for, for maintaining health and balance or even to lean out, um, I thought, okay, let's try and to to add size and, and weight a uh, while on it, and I actually found it really challenging. And I think mostly yeah. just the fats just satiated me. I mean, and I also felt like I could get away with more calories um, on the ketogenic diet than I could on a, on a, a more balanced uh, diet. So I found like a, the surplus that I needed had to be even more than what I would normally have to surplus if I was running uh, or taking in carbohydrates on a regular basis
4: yeah that that could be it you know I, I don't I don't know if there's any kind of metabolic advantage <laughs> that they say you know with a, a ketogenic diet over uh, a carbohydrate based diet I kind of I kind of doubt that's it I, I know there's some people out there that are trying to advance that that sort of idea mm-hmm. uh, hypothesis but uh the appetite suppression effect is very real though and uh, that that probably comes uh from just maintaining your blood glucose levels within a certain tight parameter mm. so when you eat when you bolus carbohydrates you know like many fitness guys do maybe every 3 hours you know you're eating like 50 grams of carbs or something you have that postprandial uh hypoglycemia you know you eat the carbs you get the release of insulin and your blood glucose comes down and after you know, two hours later, it takes a dip. And that that little dip can cause some hunger cravings and it would probably, you know, cause you to, to go seek out more carbohydrates to eat again. So that's pretty much abolished or significantly attenuated if you're on a ketogenic diet. Yeah. Because prob- you just don't have those makes sense. And, and yeah, and, and I think from you know a military perspective too, uh, if you're able to maintain Sort of your the appetite suppression can help to preserve your cognitive and physical performance over time. So there's less impairments or deficits in cognitive function if you're resistant against hypoglycemia, right? So if you get hungry, you're not going to really be experiencing or your body's not going to be telling you it's hungry uh, because you don't get that hypoglycemic dip what? So these are these are reasons why the military is kind of interested in ketogenic nutritional ketosis too. What's
2: what's your thoughts, Tom? On you know along those lines too, of somebody who's like let's say come in and out of it. So um, I I, then once again this is anecdotal for myself. I'm just curious if there's science behind it. I felt like so I was a guy who's I compete uh, bodybuilding and I consume uh, I was consuming 400 to 500 grams of carbohydrates on on a regular day. Uh, when I went ketogenic, and then when I came back out of it, my body felt like it was like super sensitive to carbs, and I I couldn't have more than two hundred something grams of carbs without feeling like I was just super bloated and over consuming. Is there any science to that too? That now my carbohydrate intake, it, it feels like I, I my body doesn't even want that many carbs anymore.
4: Yeah, you're you're probably just secreting more insulin in response to the carbohydrates, and probably transporting it more efficiently. Also, your your, a lot of it has to do with your kind of renin angiotensin like pathway, like uh, associated with your fluid balance. So, when when people eat carbohydrates, they will release the hormone insulin, and insulin can not only store carbohydrates and, and store fat too, but it also causes a profound effect at retaining sodium. So when you go on a ketogenic diet, right, your, your insulin is suppressed. So you have, it has like a, a naturetic effect. So you actually excrete a lot of sodium, but when you get back into eating carbohydrates again, uh, a lot of that initial weight gain is fluid and it's beca- it's an insulin induced sodium retention. Uh, it's not just, you know, all carbohydrates. It's like hmm. your, your body is just retaining more sodium and excreting less. So, and I've seen that happen, you know. I've seen guys gain up to like thirty or forty pounds within a week, and that's wow. not an exaggeration. <laughs> if crazy. they just go completely off their diet, you could do a lot of damage. People don't realize well that that you know, just eating crazy for a couple of days is not going to do a lot of damage. But after contest dieting, you are superbly set up to store fat extremely efficiently. So you're basically jamming a lot of fat into your adipose <laughs> when you when you kind of completely go off the diet it's funny and, you bring uh, that you start feeding like that
2: if you bring that up that has a lot that's a part of what brought the three of us gentlemen together mm-hmm. in the show was you know because i've got this experience uh in the bodybuilding world uh, i was just blown away by how many awful habits that are out there and these are the, these are the individuals that represent you know the covers of magazines and what all these people are looking up to and seeking for advice and I thought, oh my God, the way the way that we do things this this extreme crash dieting to these binging after after a show, like I'm like, yeah, Man, this is just this is so, unhealthy. Yeah, so unhealthy. unhealthy. This is what th- these are the people that represent, uh, you know, our fitness industry. Man, that's there's the problem with that. I have big well, time.
1: Well, what's interesting to me, Dom, is you yeah. just talked about the the fluid ret- or the sodium retention you get you get you get from eating. Um, you know, carbohydrates or lots of carbohydrates. When I hear bodybuilders and physique competitors and, you know, guys in the gym who say, oh, I'm low carb, my muscles are flat, I need to refill my glycogen, so now I'm going to eat carbs and they're going to fill out, I, uh, I, I used to believe that. And then I saw a recent study, and I don't remember who it was done by, or, or but within the study they showed that keto-adapted athletes actually had as much glycogen storage in their muscles as – as other athletes who ate lots of carbohydrates, so now hearing what you're saying, I bet you what they're feeling that the filling out process is probably just from the sodium in the water. Absolutely,
4: yeah, right. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Um, so yeah, the, I think the article you're referring to would be the article in Metabolism, and the first author would be Jeff Bolick, okay. who's a good friend and colleague of mine, and uh, senior author would be Stephen Finney, and they looked at. Guys that were extreme athletes that had super high output and they had guys that were carb adapted, like completely almost fueled off carbs and guys that were keto adapted, pretty much fueled off fat. And when they looked at muscle glycogen, not liver, but muscle glycogen, they saw that the glycogen stores were topped off in guys that were fat adapted because being fat and keto adapted is incredibly glycogen sparing because you shifted your metabolism to using fats for fuel. So you're going mm-hmm. to sort of preserve that the muscle is going to preserve its glycogen content pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. And that has major practical, um, uh, you know, benefits, too, because, you know, if you have two guys at the start of a race and say it's like an ultra endurance event and they have to run a 100 miles, you know, and sometimes these guys run in the mountains and everything. It's pretty crazy. And you have a guy that's fat adapted and a guy that's that's carb adapted and they both have the same amount of muscle glycogen and they start running. The guy that's carb adapted is going to need a tremendous amount of carb refeed during the actual event compared to the guy that's fat adapted because we have essentially an unlimited amount of fat, you know, even a lean person hmm. has like I don't know like 40 or 50,000 calories of fat. So they'll have more than enough fat. Um uh, but, you know, a carb adapted person is going to tank out at well, you have about, you know, maybe at the most like 2,000 calories of, of carbs total. Hmm. And if that's Gets depleted in these ultra endurance events; they're going to tank.
1: Well, interesting because two two things. Number one, um, you know, speculating how humans live for most of you know our time on Earth, we probably went long periods of time without food, and so it only makes sense that that would be, uh, you know, where we could survive the longest running on that type of energy. Be Uh, most advantageous. uh, Most advantageous. And the second thing that I was going to comment on, if you look at all sports. one particular type of uh, uh, sport or types of sports that have really started to grasp on to ketogenic dieting seems to be the ultra endurance, yeah, ultra endurance athletes. They mm-hmm. seem to be the ones that are really jumping on the ketogenic diets more than other athletes, like let's say football players. Yeah. Now, is this because yeah. is this because a ketogenic diet is fantastic for that? long, long, long types of endurance, like you're saying? Uh, and is it also because if you're doing other sports that require lots of speed and power, mm-hmm. you're probably better off not going ketogenic?
4: Yeah, well, that that's a good question. You know, they are the athletes that sort of represent, they're kind of like a good study of fuel utilization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so most of the research, you know, has been done on them, and not a whole lot of research, published research, has been done on strength athletes. Hmm. So that's what we we hope to do and plan to do. We did get a publication uh, accepted last week in Journal of Strength and Conditioning, and Fantastic. I think there's an embargo on it, so I'm not sure I can even mm-hmm. talk about it yet. Okay, I got to look on PubMed. <laughs> <I forgot>. But <laughs> so, and that that sort of answers. So we look at body composition, hormones, and strength. In athletes that follow a Western diet versus a ketogenic diet, and uh, essentially there was, it, it showed that the ketogenic diet you could add strength and and muscle on a ketogenic diet that was well formulated, more in line with a modified Atkins diet. So you had about twenty to twenty five percent of it protein, mm-hmm. and not the restrictive protein of the medical ketogenic diet. Um, but the big thing is that there was greater fat loss, you know, with the ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when the calories were sort of matched, like you had a u-caloric, isocaloric sort of calories between the two diets.
1: In- uh, interesting. Well, this kind, of, yeah, this kind of puts the whole, one of the, another thing that puts the whole a calorie is a calorie, you know, uh, narrative that we've learned uh, in nutrition, it seems like more and more research is proving that they're not necessarily all the same.
4: Well, I, I think we need to appreciate that the calories that we eat have, you know, the food is chemical energy, right? I mean, or, or it's, it has a chemical, uh, like almost a drug-like effect on our physiology. And I think we need to appreciate that, that if we eat carbohydrates from broccoli versus carbohydrates from a Pop-Tart, it's going to have a different hormonal effect <laughs> on our body. And I think that's pretty easy for most people to, to realize. Um And I think in the context of strength athletes, as as long as the workouts are like within an hour, Mm -hmm. unless you're doing like super marathon workouts, then you might be walking around with depleted muscle glycogen, but the body has a pretty good ability – to compensate and restore mu- muscle glycogen as long as you're not calorie deficient if you're oh, if you're calorie restricted then of course your your muscle glycogen is going to take a hit especially if you're if you are um, you know really going at it in the gym but if your calor if your calorie level meets your energy needs your body will find a way to ensure that your muscle glycogen is restored, you know, to to a certain extent for sure. I, so I seemed, um,
3: it sounded. So a lot. you need
4: to view it through that lens, through yeah. the the calorie the calorie sort of lens, because a lot of people kind of throw that out the the window. You, you need to appreciate that when you go on a ketogenic diet, you may inadvertently calorie restrict. So if you start following the diet, <coughs> you may experience you know flat muscles initially because you're. Your body isn't adapted to resynthesizing muscle glycogen in the absence of carbohydrates, but it will adapt over the period of a couple of weeks That's exactly you know, it might what I noticed. Not be optimized mm. until about three months but it'll it'll happen exactly cool. what I noticed
3: it also like I was you know, I was an athlete for a long time, and all we've heard about is, you know, how we need to load up on carbs, you know, for an energy source. And from, you know, you explaining being fat adaptive, you know, versus not, you know, from what it makes, you know, sense to me as far as, you know, not just the or runner might benefit from this. You know, as long as you're fat adaptive, you know, a football player or basketball player, somebody like that might also benefit from this.
1: Is that well, without without yeah, sounding like yeah. too much of a, a commercial for ketogenic, I wanted to switch gears a little bit, and I want to know if there's any negatives. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard of potential hormonal effects of long-term ketogenic dieting on like thyroid uh, hormone, and somebody made an interesting case to me uh, about a week ago where they said, well, you know, eating a ketogenic diet does simulate a low or a subcalorie, you know, subcalories in the body or like fasting, and it could be a stress on the body, could being on this long-term cause any negative changes or effects in the body that we may want to come out every once in a while?
4: Yeah, to say no, to make a blanket statement like that would probably not be a good idea because okay. we're all a unique metabolic entity, I like to say, because okay. <laughs> we have some genetic... You know, uh, factors in us like some may, you know, have a higher rate of synthesis of various, you know, fat oxidation, beta oxidation enzymes in our liver, so we make more ketones than other people. Um, and I think it's it's a. It, the more data that I look at, even in like an inbred strain of of rat, we see variability. So I think the variability is going to be much higher in people, especially if their geological ancestors are from, you know, a very northern climate versus Mediterranean or versus an equatorial, you know, climate. Uh, So, and that may account for some of the, the things that I've observed with people, a, a few people, I would say about 20% of the people who try a ketogenic diet, it just kind of doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe they weren't formulating it well. Maybe they just, you know, they weren't strict enough. They were getting in excess carbs. Uh, and when I say it doesn't work well, that your your body is a pretty good indicator of, you know, kind of what's happening. And if you don't, Feel well on a ketogenic diet after months of trying it, where you give it your best shot. It's probably not the best diet for you, but I, but I, that's not to say that a low carb wouldn't be good. But a ketogenic diet is a pretty extreme version of a diet uh, if you're not used to following it. Well, I'm happy
1: you said that because um, you're you're right along the lines of what we tell people when we talk about you know different ways to eat because uh, just being trainers as long as we have been. Um, uh, there's, I've noticed yeah, such huge individual variances in, you know, everything from workouts to nutrition. So
4: yeah, uh, absolutely. So you guys, I'm sure have seen it. You know, there's some people, even you know, you'll see their their LDLP like skyrocket, and sometimes even their triglycerides go up, and their C-reactive protein will go up too. Yeah. And these are completely opposite of what the majority of population would experience if they did a ketogenic diet. Now. One might be able to argue that maybe the macronutrient, you know, sources that they chose—maybe if it was a like a really high dairy-based ketogenic diet—was contributing to that. And I've seen some people follow a ketogenic diet and you know remove the remove the uh, heavy cream and just sort of add more fish oil or fish and avocado instead of you know lots of of you know hamburger and, and dairy, and they do much better like their numbers improve. So there's, you know, there, there's a discussion there that you can kind of get into uh, versus, you know, limiting dairy, limiting the the ratio of polyunsaturated versus mono versus mm-hmm. saturated fat in the diet. And I have some opinions there, and I'd like to kind of put a lot of time and thought into formulating what, what an ideal diet would be.
1: Interesting. But, I mean- uh,
4: but I've seen people just not respond. They shift their diet all around. And they just don't respond to the ketogenic diet. So it's really up to the person to monitor, to do some some self-monitoring and blood work. That, that makes me if this works.
2: That makes me really interested in uh, how you eat. I, I'm curious if you're like us, the the three of us, you know, being nerdy fitness guys. I don't know if I'm and people always ask us, what do you guys do for diet or how do you guys eat every day? And I'm like, man, that's such a tough answer for me because I'm constantly experimenting with my body and trying different things and and when I went keto I actually uh, it changed my whole relationship with fats in general uh, because we've been even as trainers you know we've been so scared to run that high of a diet uh, high of fat diet and uh, all the positive things I ex- uh, experienced with it changed the whole relationship that I had now with with fat and carbohydrates mm-hmm. and now I probably run closer to uh, you know 100 grams to 150 grams of carbs that's it now Uh, and a much higher fat diet because of my experience with ketogenic. Now, are you somebody who sticks to like the same way of eating or are you constantly doing the same? Are you manipulating a lot?
4: Yeah, I I do stay in some form of nutritional ketosis pretty much all the time. And I think a lot of it has to do just because that's my area of research. So I'm always experimenting. So even if my diet doesn't reflect on paper, as far as macronutrient profile, that of a ketogenic diet, like I'll be taking some form of supplementation that will kind of put me into into ketosis. Uh, but my diet's, you know, it's definitely low carb, almost always and typically always ketogenic or modified ketogenic diet. I mm-hmm. would say, uh, which would be about sixty to seventy five percent fat, and the balance being protein uh, with my carbohydrates coming primarily from, you know, things like salads, green vegetables, cauliflower, nuts, avocado, uh, a little bit of berries and dark chocolate mm. I might have at nighttime. But other than that, you know, like this morning, I did have breakfast this morning and I had uh, you know, some eggs and some trout and a little bit of salad from the leftover night before. And that's pretty... You know, I vary it up a lot. I vary the types of foods, and I think that's important just yes. for a nutrient profile. But um uh, but I eat pretty much the same way all the time. Lots of eggs and fish and green vegetables would probably describes my
1: now, diet. Now, Dom, I um I read an article the other day that uh, referred to cancer as being a metabolic disease. And I know you've talked about this as well, um, in relationship to the some of the the, the studies done on Ketones and ketogenic diets, and how cancer cells basically don't have the ability to switch to using ketones; they they just use glucose. And when you're on a ketogenic diet, uh, it seems to have some favorable effects on cancer. What does the research look like now?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't. Know, yeah, I'd be curious what article that was. The New York Times actually did an article on this. And it was sort of reviving this idea of what's called the Warburg effect. And the Warburg effect is a phenomenon in cancer that we've known, you know, since Otto Warburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got the Nobel Prize for his work in metabolism. Um, there's no doubt in any anybody's mind, including all the mainstream cancer researchers, uh, like guys like Craig Thompson and, and Luke Cantley and Michael Bishop. I mean, these are, the, these are like the pioneers of cancer research. They are all... Will admit now. Maybe it took a little bit of time that cancer is a metabolic disease in the in the context of it has a metabolic phenotype, Mm. right? So we use a fluorodeoxyglucose PET scan to locate uh, to show the aggressiveness and the location of cancer in the body. Like a whole body PET CT is Mm. used for that, and that's more or less the gold standard. To show that, you know, you have cancer and also indicates the, the aggressiveness of the cancer by the, the amount of fluorescence or the amount of um, uh, the intensity of the signal coming from uh, the PET scan, which is an indication of glucose uptake into the cells. And it's an indication that the cancer cells are out-competing the healthy tissue around it for the glucose. So, where the debate lies is the origin of cancer. So, does cancer have a metabolic origin? So, is it, we will, cancer definitely has a very uh, unique and different metabolic phenotype. It consumes massive amounts of glucose relative to normal, healthy tissue. And oncologists have known that for years, but I think it's time now, and many other investigators do, that we exploit that metabolic uh, characteristic by designing a diet, or even drugs, that limit glucose availability to glucose-hungry cancer cells, mm-hmm. and also a diet and drugs that suppress the, the hormones that drive cancer growth and proliferation, for example, insulin, you know, in pretty much. Much most cancers eighty probably ninety percent of cancers uh, the hormone insulin drives growth and proliferation and probably metastasis uh, insulin's you know pretty much linked with IGF one and mTOR and you know AMP kinase and, and all these factors that are intimately associated with cancer growth and proliferation uh, the ketogenic diet really suppresses many of the main drivers of cancer growth. And it does it kind of across the board. And it's really targeting molecular signaling pathways that many pharmaceutical companies like, uh, you know, Roche and and Genentech and, you know, the big pharmaceutical companies are are scrambling to develop drugs that target the same metabolic pathways that the ketogenic diet nicely targets sort of in synergy with many things together. Uh, So there's been a revival in the interest of ketogenic diet uh, for targeting, uh, metabolically targeting cancer.
1: Fantastic. Um, What kind of research, uh, if you're able, I don't know if you're able to talk about what kind of research you're working on now, where you see the future of, you know, uh, the research uh, in this field?
4: Yeah. So, our lab, we kind of have a multi-pronged approach. So, We develop and test ketogenic diets, and that could be different formulations of the ketogenic diet to sort of a more clinical-based one to one that's a little more liberal in protein, uh, similar to the modified Atkins diet. And we've shown that both of these sort of versions of the ketogenic diet are quite impressive at reducing cancer growth and also, most importantly, improving survival in, in our animal model. metastatic cancer. So we combine the ketogenic diet with hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, in one of our studies uh, because high levels of oxygen can reverse tumor hypoxia because low levels of oxygen can kick on oncogenes and various signaling pathways that could cause further growth and spread of cancer, including things like HIF-1-alpha and VEGF, it tends to knock those things down, hyperbaric oxygen does, and it works nicely when it's combined with the ketogenic diet. So that's another area that we're looking into, exploiting sort of the, the oxidative potential of high levels of oxygen. Um, and we're also looking at uh, various metabolic-based drugs like dichloroacetate also called DCA and metformin. You guys are probably familiar with metformin. So we have, you know, one of my students is just focused on metformin and, and also DCA. And we have, you know, studies looking at branch chain amino acids to mitigate cancer cachexia, um, to reduce the, the, the protein loss that's associated with, uh, with metastatic, you know, like stage four metastatic, Mm. um, disease is is really associated with muscle wasting. So, we're developing strategies to mitigate that. So, it's kind of a tedious process because all these things need to be tested sort of as a standalone first with a standard diet. And then we're at the point now where we're starting to combine some of these therapies. So, we have synthetic ketones that we're using. And we showed that synthetic ketones even by itself, can reduce cancer growth and actually prolong survival in in our model, which is a really good model, we think. So now we're at the point where we're combining a ketogenic diet plus ketone supplementation plus hyperbaric oxygen, and we've published recently a paper on that. And now we're interested in taking that non-toxic approach and then adding some further Uh, some drugs that can further target cancer metabolism like DCA and metformin, maybe 3-bromopyruvate. So the idea we approach it, we kind of think of it as like a press pulse theory. So the press would be like the diet, right? Because it would put metabolic pressure on the existing cancer cells. And the pulse would be like hyperbaric oxygen therapy or like three-week cycles of these uh, cancer-specific metabolic drugs—you know—that really target cancer metabolism. You know, at higher doses they or long, prolonged periods of time they could be toxic if used for you know months and months. But if you you compromise cancer metabolism with a ketogenic diet and just stop the growth and spread, and then pulse various drugs, low toxicity drugs, then that would be the best approach. Especially when you compare it to what is being done now with cytotoxic chemotherapy and radiation, which really compromises the health and, and, and even the overall survival of the patients in many cases.
1: Well, fantastic. We hope um,
2: you Wait, find want, some I, 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 Yeah, I want to ask Don one more question. Sure. About him. I, I would be so mad at myself if I didn't ask you, and I have a mind like yours on the radio right now. And my, my childhood best friend of mine, uh, he, he battles with uh, REM sleep disorder or what they call RBD. Are you familiar with that at all, Don?
4: uh rbd
2: yeah it's known or, as that or it's a rem a rem sleep disorder i know it's okay
4: a, so he's not getting into to rem okay. yeah and uh, he has like
2: these vivid vivid dreams that he acts out and they say it's actually like i, wow. I believe like 95 of the percent of the people that uh, have this end up getting parkinson's and i didn't know really? if you if you had any any research or study it's Around this, it's not super common, and uh, you know, you're definitely someone that I'd like to ask about it if I, I ever had a chance. Yeah, so. do
1: you think that the neuroprotective properties of a ketogenic
4: diet would help that's prevent? Where I'm, that's yeah, where I'm heading. Would yeah.
1: help prevent him from getting Parkinson's.
4: Yeah, I mean, all, all the indications, you know, all that data that I've seen in vitro and in vivo indicate that ketones are neuroprotective, and they would prevent. Uh, oxidative damage associated with with Parkinson's disease. So we know that Parkinson's disease is a degeneration of neurons in the substantia nigra, and that area of the brain is kind of selectively vulnerable to reactive oxygen species-induced cell death. It has a lot of uh, monoamine oxidase and a lot of free iron that can drive something called the Fenton reaction. And ketones sort of enhance mitochondrial electron flow and enhance energy in those areas while lowering reactive oxygen species. And there's been a couple papers published on this, actually. So, achieving and maintaining a state of nutritional ketosis would probably help with sleep. I found it helps with my sleep, and many people have emailed me. Uh, One person was completely, had narcolepsy and was on Modenafil or Provigil. that, you know, uh, basically stimulant drug for 10 years and was able to completely get off of it when they got on the ketogenic diet and has been sleeping, you know, perfectly fine now. Um, So I I think the ketogenic diet could work in two ways. I I think it it definitely helps improve some people's sleep and it could give you some insurance or uh, protection against oxidative stress that could be contributing to, uh, this disorder. Nice. You know, just something to think about. Um, I haven't, you know, I did my, my PhD in, uh, a sleep lab or along with a sleep lab and I really haven't ran into that disorder much. So I assume it's pretty rare. It's
2: very, it's very rare. I mean, it, it, ha- yeah. it just happens to be my childhood best friend has it. And you know, it sucks being the, the fitness guy that I am that coming to me, I didn't have the answer for him right away. So I've been yeah. I've been researching myself, and I you know I was really interested in the benefits of the ketogenic diet, and like Sal started to say about the uh, you know being a protectant. I thought, okay, well this at least could help because everything I found nothing linked directly to the RBD or the REM sleep disorder. There was stuff though that I found on Parkinson's and how it could be beneficial for that, and I thought, well, if ninety five percent of the people that end up with this REM end up or RBD, end up going into a Parkinson's, I would think that there would be some sort of benefits to that for at least uh, helping you from that, right?
4: So, Yeah, yeah. I'm actually reading about it now. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. We did, uh, so parallel to that, we, we were doing some research in our lab uh, on restless leg syndrome. And restless leg syndrome is associated with, they think, maybe degenerative, degeneration of those neurons uh, through, you know, increased uh, reactive oxygen species. So there was some interest in metabolic approaches and also ways to uh, decrease free iron levels. Mm. So iron, high levels of iron uh, in certain brain regions can contribute to uh, degeneration of neurons, especially neurons related to uh, Parkinson's disease. So just maybe something to look into, but interesting. Well, yeah, Dom. I will. I'm going to look into this, and if if I can dig anything up, I will send you some information uh, in regards to ketosis. And oh, this. I would, I would, I would so, love that. I would love that.
1: Well, Dom, thanks for talking to us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, we, thanks for
4: having me. Appreciate it. Would though.
2: love to do this again with you for sure. I know we, we there's so much more we probably want to talk to you, but we don't. We uh, yeah. respect your time. We know you're a busy Lots man. Of knowledge
4: there for sure. Yep.
2: Thanks again, Dom.
4: Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. All right, man.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic